Well, good morning to you. It's good to be back here at Second Reformed Presbyterian Church. As many of you may know, my wife Melanie grew up at the Southside Reformed Presbyterian Church. And we were married there in August of 2021. And the day after our wedding, we stopped at Second RP to worship on our way out of town. And so this church holds a special place in our hearts. And it's good to be back in town and to see familiar faces and friends. Our passage this morning is Psalm 86, which you can find on page 494 in the church Bible. I just want to say a few words before we read. Psalm 86 is in the third book of the Psalter, and if you've studied book three, you're aware that it's really a book of laments. It's really a book of expression of Israel's grief over the affliction that they have faced over the years. We find in book three allusions to a number of the invasions of Israel and Judah, including and culminating in the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians and their exile in 586 B.C. While the primary authors of these laments in Book 3 are Asaph and the sons of Korah, temple servants in God's house, and they're really expressing this lament on behalf of the nation, Psalm 86 is unique in that it's the only Psalm of David in Book 3. And it's a prayer. It's David's prayer in the time of his affliction, in the time of his personal affliction. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is the purpose? Why has God placed David's prayer in this book of laments? And I think one explanation is that God, in response to his people's cry, his people's cry over affliction, says, here, use this prayer. Use the prayer of my anointed servant, in the time of your affliction. He gives it to us as a model. And so I invite you to listen to the prayer of King David during the time of his affliction. Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you, You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord that I may walk in your truth. 
Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's ask for God's blessing. God, you are strong. You are powerful. You are mighty. And yet you are loving and gracious to your people. And Lord, we are thankful for that reminder. We have come here this morning to hear from you. And so we ask that you would strengthen us. Lord, please comfort us with your word. Give us the grace we need by your spirit. We ask in Christ. Amen. Well, why does does God give us David's prayer as a model during times? Of affliction. What is it about David's prayer that's so unique to God's people? I think we need to remember that David was an Old Testament type of Christ, that his life really pointed forward to the life of Jesus. We know that David was both a king and a shepherd, and he was a faithful man, one of the most faithful in the Old Testament. He was a man after God's own heart. David was anointed by the Holy Spirit to care for God's people, to protect them, not just nationally, but religiously. We also know that David was persecuted for his faith, that he was persecuted by some of those who were closest to him. And so we see in those ways, just a few of the ways that David's life pointed towards the life of Jesus. One commentator says this about the Psalms of David. He says, according to the witness of the Bible, David, as the anointed king of the chosen people of God, is a prototype of Jesus Christ. What happens to him happens for the sake of the one who is in him and who is said to proceed from him, namely Jesus Christ. These same words which David spoke, therefore the future Messiah spoke through him. The prayers of David were prayed also by Christ, or better, Christ himself prayed them through his forerunner David. So we see that Psalm 86 is not simply a prayer of David, but it is more ultimately a prayer of Jesus Christ, God's true anointed servant. And it's his prayer 
during his time of affliction. It's a prayer which God has given to us in order to teach us to pray like him during our times of affliction. And so the message I have for you this morning, the encouragement that I have for you is that during times of affliction, you must pray as God's anointed servant. And Psalm 86 gives us several reasons in which we are to pray as God's anointed servant. The first reason is this. You are to pray as God's anointed servant because you are poor and needy. Pray as God's anointed servant during times of affliction because you are poor and needy. We see this in verse 1. David says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. And if you've studied the Psalms of David, you'll know that that is a common refrain. Lord, I am poor and needy, and I need you. And that's really the only acceptable posture in which we can approach a holy God. It's with the recognition that we are poor and needy. And we need His rich blessings. And so we need to be reminded of this, sadly, quite frequently. And the Lord is pleased to remind us of this. And He does so in a number of ways. He Reminds us through His Word, through Psalm 86, as we read the words of David, yes, I too am poor and needy. But sometimes, sometimes it takes more than that. Sometimes it takes affliction. And the Lord is pleased to use affliction to remind us that we are poor and needy. And it seems, perhaps, that this is the case for David in Psalm 86, as we read In verse 14, he says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. We're told of the occasion of Psalm 86 that there are a band of ruthless men seeking David's life. And this affliction, this persecution is making David acutely aware of his lowly estate, and of his great need for God's help. And we know that this was one of the purposes for Israel's exile. It was to remind them that they were truly poor and needy, because it was during their times of wealth and prosperity that they became self-sufficient, so they thought. They forgot about their lowly estate. They forgot that it was God who had prospered them as His chosen people. And it's the same for the church. It's the same for us as a corporate body, and it's the same for us individually. That in our prosperity, we forget. We're short-sighted. We forget that it's the Lord who provides us with all that we need, all that we have. And so, sometimes He's pleased to use affliction to remind us of this great need for him. Well, how does affliction remind us that we are poor and needy? 
It's what affliction tells us. It reminds us why it is that we are poor and needy. Verse 14 says that David's life is threatened. And so he prays for delivery from this physical threat. He says, preserve my life in verse 2. Save your servant. So he comes to God with this, this physical need, this momentary need, and that's an appropriate thing to do. In verse 4, we see that David is also emotionally distressed because of this threat. He says, gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. So David comes to God for deliverance from this emotional need which is an appropriate thing to do. But we see in verses 3, 5, 13, 15, and 16 that the emphasis of Psalm 86 is on David's greatest need. And that is the need for God's mercy. That in the midst of this affliction which is causing David great emotional distress, he hasn't forgotten his greatest need, which is the mercy of God. You see, he's surrounded by the sin of others. He's surrounded by the persecution of those who are close to him. And yet he's acutely aware of his own sin. You see, the sin which surrounds him, the affliction that he's facing, acts like a mirror. And he's able to see his own Sin against God. It acts like a magnifying glass over his heart. It's enlargening his sin. It's putting it into perspective. He can see that his greatest need is not deliverance from the sin of others, but it's deliverance from his own sin. The more we recognize our sin, the more we see it for what it is, the more we see how great of an offense our own sin is against God, we see how much greater God's mercy is for us in light of the Gospel. The good news that God the Father sent His only Son into the world to live a life without sin, and that His Son voluntarily gave up His life on a cross, was afflicted by God through hell died and was buried and raised again on the third day so that all who put their trust in Him would be forgiven their sin and given eternal life with Him. And when we think of our momentary affliction in light of the Gospel, our affliction is really put into perspective. It it makes affliction more bearable. Not necessarily comfortable, but at least we can bear with it for the time being because we know that we have something far greater coming to us in the future. And so for David, we see that greater than his deliverance from affliction is his desire to have a right relationship with the Lord. And perhaps you're wondering at this point, I see how these are the words of David that makes sense, but how can these be the words of Christ? How is it that the sinless Son of God could beg for forgiveness, could beg for mercy 
from his heavenly Father that just doesn't make sense. What need did the Son of God have for the mercy of God? But one commentator provides this helpful explanation. He says, Christ, in the day of his passion, standing charged with the sin and guilt of this people, speaks of such their sin and guilt as if they were his own, appropriating to himself those debts for which in the capacity of assurity he had made himself responsible. It reminds us of 2 Corinthians 5.21, doesn't it? For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. You see, Christ in his humiliation by taking on the form of human flesh, by subjecting himself to this fallen world, took sin upon himself. He placed it upon himself. And so everything that was associated with sin the pain of sin, the guilt of sin, the destruction of sin, the remorse of sin, everything that comes with sin except for sin itself became His. And so He who is holy voluntarily became poor and needy through His humiliation. Although He was without sin, Jesus experienced the crushing weight of sin, the cost of sin, the wrath of God for sin. And so Christ, more than anyone else, more than you, understands your need for God's mercy. He understands it experientially. Because he experienced the weight of our sin. And so his prayers, his prayers are uniquely tailored to fit your need. And so during affliction, you must pray like him. Because like him, you too are poor and needy. But Jesus not only knows your greatest need, He knows who can fulfill it. And that's because he knew God. And he trusted God. And so even during his affliction, he could turn to God and believe that the Lord would deliver him. And so can you. And so during your affliction, you must pray as God's anointed servant because in Christ, you know God. And in Christ, You can trust God. We see in Psalm 86 that the psalmist is afflicted. His life is threatened. He's greatly afflicted. He's emotionally distraught. Things are not looking good. And yet, and yet, he still trusts in God. In verse 2, he says, Preserve my life. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. In verse 7, he says, In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. What happens to your faith in times of affliction? If you're like me, it's probably a time for testing. 
When we're put under the pressures of this life, our, our faith usually doesn't quite stand up to what the occasion is calling for. And the question we need to ask is why? Why is it that during times of affliction, our faith wavers? I'm going to give you three reasons that the psalmist gives us. It's because we forget who God is. In times of affliction, we tend to forget who God is. But the psalmist reminds us in verses 5 and 15, he says that God is good. He's forgiving. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's merciful and gracious. During times of affliction, it's easy to forget this about God, isn't it? It just slips our mind. Or even more, our our perception of God can, can change. We can start to wonder whether God is punishing us during times of affliction. But we know that that's not true. We know that our affliction cannot be punishment. Because our punishment was Christ's affliction. And so even during our affliction... God's good and gracious nature is being revealed to us through our difficult circumstances. Our affliction is for our own good. It can't be anything else. We know that God is immutable. He he cannot change. His good nature does not change regardless of our circumstances. The second reason that we struggle to trust God during affliction is because we forget what God has done. We forget what God has already done. In verse 8, David says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. In verse 10, he says, For you are great and do wondrous things. It's so easy to forget that the Lord created all things by His Word. And He continues to sustain all things by the Word of His power. That He has redeemed us from sin and death through His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the most common refrains that God gives to Israel is to remember. To remember that He dried up the river. That He led them through the dry waters on dry land into the promised land. To remember that God had redeemed them from Egypt. And so the Lord calls us to remember the works that He has done, to reflect on His goodness, to reflect on His faithfulness. Now, do you ever just take the time and to reflect on how did I get here? How did I get to Indianapolis, Indiana? I grew up in South Carolina. I lived a bunch of different places. But the Lord redeemed me. And He brought me here. And He has done all of this to reveal His goodness and His faithfulness to me. And so as we reflect on our lives, we see how He has been guiding us in each and every step of the way. And if we're honest, we have to admit that it's all the Lord's mercy that He has done this. And so our memories are a gift. They're a gift given to us in order to reflect on the God's faithfulness. And finally, We waver in our faith during times of affliction because we forget what God is doing. We forget what God is doing. In verse 9, David says, All the nations you have made, 
shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. When we are afflicted individually, corporately, we forget that God is building his church. We forget that amidst all of the difficult situations in the church, that God is still building his body and that there will come a day where he will send out his angels to the four corners of the earth and gather all of the elect and we will be reunited in heaven and we will be able to look back on this moment and to see how the Lord is using these afflictions to build his church and we will praise him for it. And so we need to remember his promise. We need to remember what he tells us that he's doing even through times of difficulty. And so during affliction, you must pray like God's anointed servant in order to remember that you know Him. That you know Him and you can trust Him. But finally, you must pray as God's anointed servant because your only obligation during affliction is obedience to God. During affliction, your only obligation is obedience to God. We see in his affliction, David rightly calls upon God to act. He says, Lord, hear me. Preserve me. Be merciful to me. Rejoice my soul. Save me. David is rightly demonstrating his utter dependence upon the Lord, his need for God to act in his life. And we need to go to God and we need to ask him to act mightily in our life. But we see in verse 11 that David's request acknowledges how he is called to act during his time of affliction. In verse 11, David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. If you're like me during times of affliction, that's not the first prayer that we send up to God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. My first response is usually to be relieved of whatever affliction I'm in to find some way of escape, to alleviate the discomfort that I'm feeling. And it's not wrong to want to be alleviated from affliction. It's not wrong to want God to make our circumstances better, especially if we turn to Him and we ask Him for those things. But we must always if not primarily, at least simultaneously be asking God, God, what is it that you're asking of me to do in this moment? What is it that I can do in Christ and what you want me to do in Christ in order to serve you faithfully? And the prophet Micah reminds us of this. In chapter 6, verse 8, he says, The Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
And I find that terribly, terribly comforting. To know that in times of affliction, the Lord doesn't ask me to solve my problems. He doesn't expect me to find solutions to the things that ail me. He doesn't expect me to feel better right away, to find a way to feel better. What He asks of me is simple. And it's good. And it's true. He, he calls on me to love Him. And to love my neighbor as myself. And it's not easy. But it's simple. And it helps us to redirect our minds and our hearts when everything around us seems to be complicated and difficult. We know that the Lord's way is pure and true and it leads to life. And so we must always, always in times of affliction be asking God, God, what am I called to do in this moment? And this was Christ's prayer. The night before He was crucified. The night before His greatest affliction, He offered up this prayer to the Lord from Matthew 26, 39-42. He says, O my Father, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. A second time he prayed, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. The will of God was more important to Jesus than his own life. And that's for two reasons. Because he had a perfect love for God and a perfect love for us. And so he was seeking the glory of God. He was seeking the good of his people through perfect obedience during the time of his affliction. And in Christ, that's your calling too. In times of affliction, pray as God's anointed servant. Because your only obligation is obedience to God. When the community of drug and alcohol rehabilitation, there's an expression called hitting rock bottom. It's the moment when the alcoholic or the addict becomes desperate enough to admit they have a problem and to ask for help. And it's usually not a pretty sight. It's usually after the individual has lost everything, his home, job, family. But if you've ever talked to a sober alcoholic or a sober drug addict, they'll tell you that hitting rock bottom was the best thing that ever happened to them. Because it was the first step. It was the turning point toward a life of sobriety. And in a sense, this was Israel's experience in exile. It was the worst possible thing that an Israelite could have imagined. The temple was destroyed. God's people were exiled. They were living amongst the Gentiles. The consequences of their sin, however, is what led them to repentance. Do you remember Jeremiah's vision about the two baskets of figs in front of the temple? 
One of the baskets was full of good figs, one full of bad figs. And the Lord said it was the good figs that would be sent into exile. This is what he said. The Lord said, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good, into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Friends, have you hit a bottom recently? Does it feel as if you're living in exile? Well, has the Lord afflicted you for your own good? If so, turn to Him. Turn to the Lord. And He will remind you of His great love, His mercy, His grace. The Lord gives us the laments of book three because He wants us to come to Him with our affliction. He wants us to bring our concerns to Him. He doesn't want to dismiss us or cast us aside He cares about the things that we are going through. And so He wants us to come to Him with our laments. But He also gives us the prayers of Christ. The prayers of His anointed servant that we would know how to rightly respond to our affliction. If you find yourself in affliction this morning, pray to God like His anointed servant. Because that's who you are in Christ. You are God's anointed servant in Him. You are poor and needy. You know God. You know Him. You know what He has done. You know what He is doing. And therefore, you can trust Him. And if you are in Christ, you know that your only obligation is to Live in obedience to Him. To love Him. And to love one another as yourselves. Let's pray. Oh God, we need Your Word to remind us of these wonderful truths. Your way is so pure. Your way is so light. Your yoke is not hard. Lord, we want to make it difficult. We want to try to control the things which go on around us to control your providences. But Lord, we know that your ways are perfect. And so we trust that even in difficult circumstances, you are working all things for your glory and for our good. And so we pray, Father, that you would really soften our hearts and then strengthen them in Christ that we might serve you faithfully. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.